I'm Jesse LeBlanc. I'm Kat Miller, and this is Vines and Wines. We created this podcast to share our favorite activity of discussing financial regulation while drinking wine. Each episode, we dive into the lessons learned from a recent disciplinary action. So grab a glass and let's dive in. Just a couple of quick disclaimers. Nothing we say here should be construed as legal advice. We're not lawyers. However, we do have collectively more than 30 years of experience in the industry. And while our opinions are our own, let us know if anything here resonates with you. We'd love to help you out. Lastly, we dive into cases to discuss the lessons learned and best practices. Nothing we say should be taken as being critical of the firm that is at the center of this case. Hey friends, thanks for joining us for this special episode of Finds and Wines. So for this episode, instead of diving into our normal disciplinary action review, we are just going to take a deep dive into the SEC's recent regulation best execution proposal. This document is huge, as most of you know. I mean, it's about 440 pages. So we are really doing this as a very high level. Here's a couple items that really popped out at us as we're trying to put together our comment letter. One thing I think that's important to point out out of the gate, just a very brief high-level summary, that this regulation is designed to be policies and procedures driven as opposed to principles-based. And I think the focus for a lot of the items that are in the proposal are really focused on firms needing to enhance and expand their existing written supervisory procedures to specify how the broker-dealer intends to comply with the best execution principles and how the broker-dealer will determine the best market available or make routing decisions. So it's that how piece that I think is really crucial in this proposal. The other thing that I think would be interesting to point out is that the SEC intends to enforce this rule based on the anti-fraud provisions of the Exchange Act, which is an intentional stroke for them based off of the broad nature of the securities to which they want this to apply. Speaking of enforcement, I definitely wish I had a tick sheet and thought about it when I first started reading this proposal on how many times it was mentioned that one of the key benefits for this is enforcement. That's right. I think if if it's not lost on people that this could sort of easily be teed up as a regulation by enforcement sort of tactic, I think, you know, the the economic analysis section certainly makes that clear. And it's interesting, if you read any of the statements made by commissioners, several of the commissioners are like, why do we need this in the first place? We don't have an evidenced issue with best execution overall as an industry. I think one of the big issues with the proposal is that it seems like a veiled attempt to try to regulate the markets in different ways that potentially the the regulation best X could be more of a sweeping change as opposed to trying to just fix the smaller issues that the commission has identified over time. So probably one of the bigger issues that we have identified or one of the things that we're most concerned about is the section on conflicted transactions. And I think this is a really good example of where the SEC has been vocal about their concerns in areas like payment for order flow, where they feel like there is an inherent conflict of interest. And instead of maybe just addressing just that particular piece of the market structure, they want to go ahead and do this big sweeping overhaul, broad change by putting a rule like regulation best X into play. Speaking of the conflicted transaction section, the very first thing that popped out at me is you're going to have your policies and procedures for best execution. 
And then if it's a conflicted transaction, you have to have policies and procedures that go beyond what your original policies and procedures are. But I'm a little confused on what that beyond means. And the reason for that, I'm like, okay, so I'm just going to do tiny bit over here because I now have to write a policy and procedure on how I'm going to go beyond. So I'm going to leave stuff out of my original policy and procedure so I can do extra. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. The information beyond that required, that, that was a piece that I, I honed in on as well because it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to, to say, and, and I think exactly what you're pointing out, Kat, is that this type of a rule and mandating that level of specificity in your policies and procedures could have the opposite intended effect, right? So you could have a firm that is already going above and beyond in every transaction, trying to check all of the markets, checking everything they have at their disposal to try to get best execution. But then if you try to say, but then the next time you do this, because the transaction is conflicted, you have to do something else. Like you could end up in this situation where you're creating essentially two standards, one for non-conflicted transactions and one for conflicted transactions. And at what point are you saying, well, that doesn't meet the best execution requirement? Are you not achieving best execution because you have two different standards that you've set for yourself? So one other area that we had some concerns about in the conflicted transaction section was how they define principle. And I think by definition, principle is a conflicted transaction. However, what they are not considering here is the fact that riskless principle is essentially an agency trait. Well, and speaking of riskless print, we need to define what that means and our definitions need to be consistent. And, and when I say consistent, I'm not just saying through this particular proposal, but through everything, the SEC, FINRA, MSRB, everybody needs to be consistent on all of these definitions. Well, but I think I think you're raising a good point about the the def definition of riskless principle. If you if you actually look at the rules, riskless principle is defined, but it's defined in an equity construct. Riskless principle really has never been defined in a fixed income construct, which is of course where it's used more frequently. Not until the prevailing market price rules came into effect a few years ago did the regulators really even dance around this topic. And even in the construct of that rule, they didn't really define what riskless principle means. I think every they, they sort of left it up to firms to kind of define how they were going to apply you know, that same day transaction and whether or not the um, market disclosure was going to be required on a same day transaction. So until the regulators come out and really kind of standardize the definitions, it's going to be difficult for a firm to kind of create their policies and procedures to comply with that. Prior actually to the, the markup disclosure rules, I actually had regulators tell me that riskless print could technically be an old day trade. Yeah. One thing that they do call out in the economic analysis section that is just fascinating to me is that although the commission cannot quantify the degree of reduction in conflicted transactions that would occur under the proposal, the commission preliminarily believes that any resulting reduction in conflicted transactions could improve the prices retail customers realize for their transactions. So basically, they're coming out and saying that they're not going to be able to quantify the benefits to retail customers, but any, any reduction in principal transactions holistically for the industry is a net positive. I think another term that would be important to define in this conflicted transaction section and across the board for the industry is the term retail. In this proposal, the SEC is leaning towards using kind of the reg BI definition of a retail customer. This proposal also talks about having an exemption or a carve out for institutional clients, but then, you know, trying to define what is an institutional customer. 
right? So in our world, we're used to, you're either retail or institutional. So depending on what they define is retail, what we define is institutional, there could be a gap of customers that kind of are in a gray area. But I thought one of the interesting parts is the fact that they were way that that proposal does the carve out for institutional. Not only is that customer exercising independent judgment, but that it also executes an order against the broker-dealer's quotation. And because of that piece, they're actually completely disregarding the MSRB rule. And they would come out and say in the proposal, yeah, we know that the MSRB has this, but that definition will no longer be good because we're going to do this definition instead. So one other area that we've spent a lot of time really focusing on is the, the portion of the proposal that relates to introducing brokers. Specifically, the definition that the SEC is using to define introducing brokers is more narrow than the ones that FINRA and the MSRB have used historically and limits the flexibility that had been afforded to those firms that would have qualified under FINRA and the MSRB's definitions. Again, here is a great example on inconsistency with definitions, right? So I would not want to be at a firm and be like, okay, well, for all of these purposes, I'm an introducing brokerage firm, but for this one, I'm not. And in this scenario, to meet the definition, all of your transactions have to be executed on an agency basis with the executing firm. Yeah, that's that's for sure the way I read it. I mean, under the new definition of introducing brokers, one of the pieces is that an introducing firm must have an arrangement with an unaffiliated broker-dealer that agrees to handle and execute orders on an agency basis. It does specify that fractional trades and riskless principal trades for fixed income are okay, However, and this goes back to the inconsistency of definitions, riskless principle, as it's discussed in this introducing broker section, is defined and treated wholly differently than it is in the conflicted transaction section, which is interesting. Here, they make a very quick conclusion to say that riskless principle transactions for fixed income are basically agency trades. If that's the case, then why are we considering them conflicted? <laughs> So for firms that do meet this standard of an introducing broker, as it's defined in the SEC proposal, are required to establish, maintain, and enforce policies and procedures that require the introducing broker to regularly review the execution quality obtained from your executing broker, and then also to compare it with the execution quality it might have obtained from other executing brokers. I like when I read this, they were like, of course, other broker dealers are just going to hand this over to you, even though you're not their client, because they want what the opportunity to have your business. I, I didn't quite understand it, but it seemed very lighthearted. Like, of course, this is going to be easy for you. Right. That's right. It may be easier to get that information for equities than it would be for fixed income. It's going to be very unlikely that that information is, is available. The other thing that made me a giggle as I was reading through is as you're doing your due diligence as an introducing brokerage firm, if you have issues, you're supposed to, you know, raise it up to the executing broker. But then it's like, or you can just leave and use another executing broker. The thought process behind it, I get. Like, I get that they're like, you need to be doing what's best for your client. And if you're not getting it with this executing broker, you need to then consider other options. But it's not one of those like, okay, well, I'm just going to pick up and go and I'm going to come over here now. Hey, guys. Like, I think there are several things in this proposal that certainly work against small firms. And that is a really good example of one of those things. 
So one other thing that we found interesting that doesn't really relate to introducing firms or to conflicted transactions, but it just, this was just a recurring theme that kept getting brought up in the, in the course of this proposal. The SEC brought up several times that the usage of last look as an opportunity to improve execution quality was something that firms should consider. And I think this struck us as odd as over the last several years, there's been a lot of efforts industry-wide, whether it's from FINRA or the SEC, to really get their hands around this concept of pennying in the fixed income markets, which isn't exactly the same as last look, but it does relate. And I think there's a lot of evidence out there that sort of shows and proves that last look could be considered anti-competitive. The proposal, though, if you read the footnotes, they do actually address that. They're like, hey, we know that there's this concern about pennying. But like, we're going to give you this, but we also recognize you really shouldn't be doing that. Right. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that they they encourage when it comes to the usage of last look is that a broker dealer's policies and procedures could address how the broker dealer would use last look in connection with RFPs and whether this practice affects the extent to which customer orders are exposed to opportunities to get the most favorable price. Fine. But even then, if you're going to allow somebody to have a last look, the intention of doing so is to bring it into your inventory at a better price potentially than what you're going to get on on an ATS. Like you're going to want to internalize that order. And if that's going to be a conflicted transaction, how is that going to reconcile with your more complex policies and procedures that you're going to be required to have because it's a conflicted transaction? I think all of us are still just trying to digest what's going on. What's the purpose behind this? We already have a FINRA and an MSRB rule. And if you guys get through it and you get down to the bottom, there is a whole section of reasonable alternatives. And most of these topics that we've kind of reviewed are addressed down in the reasonable alternatives. It makes me almost want to wonder, like, why can't we just do some of those first? Like, why are we jumping in? Right. I think just going to the reasonable alternatives, one of the ones that they did throw out there was that they could just consider an outright ban on payment for order flow. And it seems, again, that this is something that they have really come out vocally against, that this is an area of the industry that they have a problem with. If that's the case, focus on the one issue, and as opposed to trying to go down the path of trying to regulate everybody else into submission for whatever that problem is that they're trying to solve, which again, was not really clearly stated through the course of this proposal. So as we mentioned, this is intended just to be a really high-level look at where we're planning to go with our comment letter when we submit it later to the SEC. Among other things, we do intend to spend a lot of time on conflicted transactions, on the impacts to introducing brokers, as well as the use of last look as a tool in the best X arsenal, but also just on the need for consistency of the definitions used when we're talking about trying to regulate this industry. If anything that we have said resonates with you, or if there are thoughts that you have on any of these topics or anything else covered in the 440 pages of proposal that exists out there, please reach out and let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts and figure out how we can incorporate those in our comment letter. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Fines and Wines is a part of Trade Alliance, a consulting firm for broker dealers and investment advisors with trading operations and compliance. Though these episodes are intended to be casual and a fun take on discussing regulation, our consultants are serious when it comes to helping you out. 